They bring the blind man to Jesus, begging him to touch him. So Jesus takes him away from the crowd, out of town. And again, don't you guys trip out on how they use spit? You know how Jesus uses spit? He spits on his eyes. And I don't know. To me, I'm like, oh, he spits on his eyes. Then he touches him? I, I don't know. I just visualize that. And so anyways, um, and then after he does that, he asks him that question. Well, what do you see? You know, do you, do you see anything? Can you see? And at first, this is interesting and this is unique, he can't. He's not completely healed. He says, I see men like trees walking. And so Jesus puts his hand on the man again. He makes him look up. And then the man was completely healed. And it was at that point that he saw clearly. And obviously, there's a lot of lessons, you know, whenever you study the Bible. But three words stand out to me in this section here. Number one is the word revelation. Revelation. Number two is the word cooperation. Cooperation. And number three is the word illustration. Now, in this miracle, we clearly have another revelation of who Jesus is. And if you're going to come away with anything, make sure that that's the one that you come away with. He is the creator God, He is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world, right? We read that passage over in Psalm 146 in verse 8. It says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Just, just the Lord. The Hebrew uh, word right there is the tetragrammaton. And that's in reference to the covenant name for Almighty God. You know, it's not Adonai, it's not Elohim, it's Yahweh, Yahweh. We don't even know for sure how to pronounce it, but we know it's in reference to Almighty God, the Lord. He is the one that opens the eyes of the blind. And so when Jesus does this, he reveals who he is. So in healing the blind man, Jesus does that, as a matter of fact, seven times at least in the Gospels. It proves his deity. We've got to make sure we come away with that. That he is the creator. But it also points to his identity as the Christ. And so when you see him healing blind and you know doing these things that he's doing, we have to identify who he is. It's a revelation of who he is. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. When John the Baptist was thrown in prison, he started to doubt Jesus, you know, because he was locked up. He, he didn't understand the timing of ministry and Jesus' uh, time frame. He's like, what's taking so long? And and he sent some of his guys to Jesus. We have something we read about in Luke chapter 7, verse 20 through 22. And so when the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one? Are you the one? Or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. You know, Jesus essentially said, Yes, I am the coming one, the Christ. Uh, the miraculous works that I'm working reveal my identity, right? So John, I know you're going through hard times and we go through hard times and you might even go through times or seasons of doubt, you know, you're struggling as a Christian. Man, you know what? I, I, we, we go through that sometimes, even John did. But let me just tell you something. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, 
you are set, you are sealed, you are saved. You know, and it's so cool when, we, when we're reminded, who else has done this? You know, it reminds me of that time in the Gospel of John chapter 9 when, when Jesus uh, healed a man who was actually born blind. And, you know, when you go to that chapter there, it, it, you know, this guy, uh, the disciples found out he was born blind. They said, Lord, who sinned, him or his parents? You know, why is this guy blind? And Jesus said, neither. That's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. He was born blind so that we can reveal the glory of God you know, in his life because Jesus would eventually heal him of his blindness. And so when he was healed of his blindness, the religious leaders, they said, hey, how did this happen? Tell us the whole story. And he just said, well, you know, this prophet, you know, he touched me and and, uh, and he healed me. And then they're like, well, we don't know about this guy. And he's, uh, he's just kind of going back and forth with the religious leaders. You know, what do you mean you don't know about this guy? What do you mean? I mean, who else can do this? God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. And in, in John chapter 9, in verse 32, he said, Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. So, you know, man, for us, when we see Jesus healing the blind man, it's just evident, it's a revelation of who he is, that he's the creator, that he's the Christ, that he's God, that he's our savior of the world. You know, and and just in case, you know, I don't know, I don't know how you guys are doing in your life. I hope that you're, you're doing okay, you're walking with the Lord, you're growing in Christ, but... You know, I realize most of you here know that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, and you need no further evidence. But just in case there's anyone here who doesn't uh, have that in their heart yet, I pray that you would open your eyes and that your heart would be uh, open to the revelation of what we're reading right here, that Jesus Christ, heals the blind. He makes the lame to walk, the dead to live, that He is the Savior of the world. You know, we live in a crazy world, you know, where they get you distracted and if they can't make you bad, they'll make you busy, you know, too busy to read your Bible, pray, go to church. I mean, they get you kind of caught up and swept away in their own world and there you are. All you do is on, you're, on your, you're on your phone and, you know, you're watching TV, you're getting drunk or high or sexual adventures and just all the, the enticements of the world. And then, you, you know, you go home or whatever, you wake up the next morning, you put your head on the pillow and there's an emptiness inside. You're dying inside. And all you have to do is come, not to a program, but to a person. Not to a religion, but it's a relationship with God. His name is Jesus. And when you come to Him, You know, the God who made you, the creator who created you, knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who died for you on the cross to wash away all your sins. You come to him, you realize who he is. You see, that's what this is all about. And so, you know, that's the first element in this, the the revelation you know, but we see another lesson here woven within the scriptures, and that is the, 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 the teaching of cooperation. Cooperation. And we learn that the, the man's personal faith, it had a part to play in accessing God's power. 
Now, I need to be really careful here, and I, I just pray you guys would know these things. I don't want to teach anything that's unbiblical in any way. You know, when God does a miracle, the truth is uh, we don't want to put him in a box. God, you guys know this, that God sits on the throne? Do you guys know that? You guys know that he can do whatever he wants? That if he wants to heal a squirrel, he can heal a squirrel? You guys know that? And it's not the squirrel's faith that does it necessarily. I mean, God can heal anyone at any time. And so he can heal anyone without anyone's cooperation if he wants to. But you know what? I challenge you to find an example of that in the Bible. You don't see a lot of that that in the Bible. You really don't. When you read the Bible, uh, usually there's some type of cooperation. Oftentimes, it's someone who's interceding for someone. You know, uh, God heals people often through the prayers and intercession of loved ones. You know, you're praying for someone and God heals them. That happens. Or God does a miracle. You know, I think of the four men. You guys remember the story? They, they wanted their friend to come to the Lord and get healed so bad. They wanted it so bad that, you know, when there was no way to, to get in through the door, there was, the place was packed out. They, they just said, we're determined. We're going to make a difference in my friend's life. We love him. We know Jesus can help him. I'm not going to just give up on my friend. And so you guys remember what they did? They climbed up on the roof. They, dug a, they made a hole in it or the ceiling. And then they dropped their friend right in front of Jesus. And Jesus looked at them and said, wow, your faith is amazing. Okay, buddy, you're healed. You know, there's an intercession. Sometimes God will do a miracle in cooperation with others. I think of the Syrophoenician woman. She prayed, and then she prayed, and then she prayed, and she prayed, and then her daughter was healed. Right? So the Lord will do a miracle oftentimes through that type of cooperation. But another thing is, is you know, when we, a lot of times when we want to experience the miracle, when we want to see transformation, when we want to grow, when we want to be a, a vessel in God's hands, when we want to experience healing, that there is a, a cooperation oftentimes required on our own part, right? There's no denying the fact that there are those times when God wants to work in such a way that our faith is next, necessary. And, you know, I, I think that's what we're, what we're seeing here. It's an operation of cooperation, um, one of the things that you'll find, and, and you just gotta, you gotta like ask God to increase your spiritual senses, is that you know when Jesus spits on the man, because we've seen that the culture thought that spit was uh, medicinal, and Jesus touched the man. What what is that? You're like, what's up with that? You know what that is? It's a stimulation of their faith. You know, like oh, someone's someone's wanting to do something right here. You know, the Lord would do that. It wasn't that he needed to do that. I mean, God could have just thought it. He spoke it. He didn't need to touch him. But what he begins to do in our lives is he begins to stimulate our faith somehow. And that's exactly what was going on with this man. You know, Jesus determined this to be a cooperative cure. But the man's faith apparently faltered to a certain extent. Therefore, he was not completely healed initially. Now again, I need to be careful. I, uh, I want you guys to be a healthy church and healthy Christians. And uh, you guys, you know, I need to say this. It's not always God's will that we be healed physically on this side of time. You guys know that? 
Sometimes it's not always His will. First John chapter 5, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now if you're a Christian, no matter what the disease may be one day, He will heal you. When it might be in glory. No more sin, suffering, sickness, or death, or devil. None of that stuff, right? He can heal you on this side of time too. So I want to make sure that as we're talking about stuff like this, and you're like, okay, well, I need to believe, I need to believe. Uh, it's not always God's will for us to be healed physically on this side of time. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Now, having said that, I do believe that our Lord wants to do many, many, many more mighty miracles today. I believe that with all my heart. Miracles in these days that we live in, within our own hearts and our own souls and our own bodies, our own marriages, our own ministries and families. He longs to touch us like that and to teach us and transform us from the inside out and conform us into His image. But you know, a lot of times we're like this man it was initially, that there's no real cooperation with His desire for transformation. We're not really believing and, and receiving. It's important to know that in the Bible, our lack of faith can limit our Lord. You know, that's what happened in this man's life, I believe. That's what happened in uh, Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. You know, you guys remember when he went there and he wanted to do a mighty work? The Bible says in Mark 6, 5-6, through 6, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Man, he wanted to do so much more. But they limited the Lord and it tripped him out. That's why they're called Nazareth because they're like, nah, he can't, he won't. <laughs> We don't believe in Him. Some people are like that. Yeah, God wants to work in your life. Nah. Yeah, He does. He wants to work in you and through you. Are you caught up in His kingdom? Are you doing the work that He's called you to do? Are you, are you, he knit you together in your mother's womb for His glory. Gifts and talents that He wants you to be involved in. You know, let me ask you a question. You know, and we all have to search our own heart. But are you caught up in the kingdom? You know, here we see this man right here limiting the Lord. And I, and I, and I think it's, you know, evident, you know. Not 100% sure why, but for whatever reason, this man, even after Jesus did his part, and we know, of course, there was no failure on Jesus' part, he was not able to see clearly. He saw men like trees walking. It was a prophecy of the Lord of the Rings. I think that's what that was. Now I'm just joking. For some reason, you know, he lacked the childlike faith. Wiersbe suggests that it may have been the atmosphere of unbelief in Bethsaida. That uh, city was bad. Uh, and so he lived in this city and I guess it affected him. You know, you got to be careful who your friends are, who you hang out with. Uh, some people, they... They want to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And they go party on Saturdays and they go to church on Sundays and then they wonder why. You know, they're not as strong as they should be, right? And so he lived in Bethsaida. And we know according to Matthew eleven twenty one through 24 that Jesus had already sentenced the city of Bethsaida to judgment. So that may have had an effect on him. And this may also be the reason, or at least part of the reason, Jesus took the man outside the city and uh, told him not to go back into the city 
after he healed him. Those are things to think about, right? You know, God help us to learn how we need to be holy. You know, the church, you guys know that what the, what the root word for church is, ecclesia, is called out. We're called out of the world. We're not to be uh, conformed to this world. We're not to love this world. We're not to be spotted by the world. We're not to, you know, have that heart. And so we live in the world, but we're not of the world. And so if you're trying to, to do both and trying to, to two-time God, you know, you're in big trouble. I'll never forget when I, a long time ago, maybe you've experienced, maybe you haven't. Have you guys ever had it happen to you? You know, I like this girl. She was so, you know, I thought she was pretty and all that back then. And anyways, you know, we were talking and supposedly we had this, uh, you know, monogamous or whatever, unique relationship. And one day I'm at the mall, I'm walking down. I see her with someone else. And so I'm like, oh. I was so upset. I was devastated. I walked home. And, uh, I, you know, that was after I had been, you know, give, given a, a ride there. And it was just, it hurt me. And so I called her up. I said, who, what were you, who were you with? Why, why are you like that? She's always my cousin. I'm, oh, man, you guys were like kissing and hugging. That's weird, man. <laughs> you know, it just, I just remember the feeling of that, you know, and um, I'm, that's how God feels, kind of. And a hundred times worse when we're trying to serve Him and, 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 the, and the world. No, God wants us to be faithful to Him. And it'll take its toll on you. You're not going to have the faith that's required in order to experience the miracles that He wants to do in your life. So here's this guy in Bethsaida. Probably took its toll on him. And so, you know, for whatever reason, he wasn't able to be healed completely the first time. You know, we learn that lesson. We have to cooperate in order to be cured. That we need to believe in order to receive. And we need to respond to the way that he begins to stir us up with his stimulations, right? When he spit on the man and touched his eyes, it was done so his faith would rise. And I really believe if you listen to the Lord beyond the typical, normal, and casual Christian, then you will hear his voice. I believe that with all my heart, that you'll sense His touch, that you'll see His will, and then you'll have an opportunity to respond and, and to move and, and to receive and believe in order that God would work. But we are called to cooperate, guys. I mean, and when you listen to His voice and you hear His words, like the Lord, when He saw Peter, James, and John, and so many of the other guys, He said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And they left their nets and followed Him. You know, and I'm not saying you have to quit your job, but, you know, if you're challenged by Jesus, then you've got to respond. You might have to quit the calling of men and trade that in for the calling of God. Otherwise, you're only going to see men walking like trees. And let me tell you something, that doesn't sound good to me. Men walking like trees. No, men should walk like Christ. We got to respond. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to catch fish to die. I want to catch men to live. And God will use your life to do that. Wherever your part of, of the body is, 
You, there's a place, there's a gift, there's a ministry where you're supposed to serve. You're supposed to serve Jesus Christ, the one who died for you. Are you serving him? I mean, he was nailed to a cross and it was God himself. And here we are with the audacity oftentimes to live our own life. Nothing about that makes sense. For us, it's supposed to be so simple. Lord, what do you want me to do? And then you do it. And we're called to cooperate. You know, and, and I don't know. I remember the story in Second Kings chapter 5 uh, about uh, Naaman. And you guys remember that story? He was a Syrian army leader. And, uh, you know, he had leprosy. And he found out that he could be healed in Israel through the ministry of Elisha. Elisha. So he goes down to Elisha. He brings everything. He's set up for this, you know, amazing thing. And Elisha says, let's go watch go wash in the river Jordan. And, and uh, he's like, what? Wash in the river Jordan? I thought he was going to like, you know, speak over me or whatever, wave his wand and or just do something right here. And now. Wash in the river. We got so many nicer rivers where I live. I'm not going to do that. And so he starts heading home with his leprosy, with his sickness, with the, the, the very thing that would isolate him, the very thing that would, you know, kill him. I'm just going to live like this way. I'm not going to wash in the Jordan. So one of the guys just says, hey, why don't you just do it? What do you got to lose? And so he washes, he dips in seven times. It's a cooperation. God says, do this. You got to do it. Otherwise, you won't experience the power of God that keeps this world spinning, that makes that sun shine, that keeps your heart beating, that gives you the very air that you breathe. You got to do your part. You see, he does his. You see, the healing of the blind man is a, is a revelation of Jesus. But the healing of the blind man is also a lesson on cooperation with Jesus. And then the third thing is this, the, the illustration. And, and in the illustration and looking at this, there's a couple of things that I think we see. Letter A is an illustration of the hardness of men's heart. You know, and you got to dig a little deeper, maybe study a little longer, and, and you'll find that this miracle follows some pretty interesting remarks in the Gospel of Mark. Again, going through, taking it in context, especially when you consider the previous miracle back in chapter 7 of the healing of the deaf mute. Now remember, in chapter 7, he heals the guy who's deaf mute, right? And as I was talking to you guys about that, a lot of times we can't speak because we can't hear. So, um, the deaf mute is healed, and now the blind man is healed. So, you think about that, and then you go back to Mark chapter 8. Look at verse 18. Look what he told his disciples. He, says, he said to them, Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? If you look up at verse 17, Jesus being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? See, when we're looking at the, the deaf, mute, and the blind man, they're like illustrations of the apostles. Your heart's hard. You can't see the way you should see. You can't hear 
the way you should hear. Otherwise, you wouldn't have doubted whether or not you brought a, a loaf of bread. I fed 5,000, then I fed 4,000. And you're wondering if you're going to have enough bread? They were not hearing and they were not seeing. They needed God to do a work in their heart. You know, I just pray that we would know. And again, you might look at these guys and, wow, they're so bad. That can be me. I can very easily be the blind man in so many ways. You know, I could look at my wife. And I could just see her physically, right? I mean, superficially. And then the Lord says, no, look deeper. Look deeper into the life of your wife. And you will see what you really need to see, but what you have been refusing to see. Or your kids, right? I mean, we can easily be the deaf man. You know, you go and visit someone in the hospital and you're listening to them. You're listening to them, what they're talking about and the doctor's prognosis. And, and you know, you're there and, and yet you're not listening to God while you're there. You know, there's a message from the Lord in this trying and yet teaching time. But we're deaf. We're not listening. We're not even thinking that God's going to speak to us in that setting. And yet, you know, the Bible says he has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. You know, we have to be so careful that we don't simply go halfway. You know, um, and what we need is faith. All of us here. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 1 that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. It's by faith. And he's talking to Christians. And he's talking to Christians who are going through hard times. And he says, hey, it's by faith you attain the impossible. It's by faith that you see the invisible. It's by faith. And that's the key to do what we need to do and go where we need to go and say what we need to say and be who we need to be. That's the key to escaping the bondage of the world and baggage of the world. We learn that even I think through the life of Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, it says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You know, Moses, he, he wasn't blind. He came to that point, God began to work in his life, he opened up his eyes, and you know, he, he wasn't afraid, and he was able to endure and do all the things that he did and say and be the man that he was called to be, eventually. So humble. And when you're humble and you're usable, all that was how by faith. And that he saw. It's like as if he saw the invisible God. You know, that helps us endure and escape Egypt and be used by God to do our part, whatever that may be. You know, to help others escape from Egypt is what Moses did and leave them in the promised land. And I think in many ways, you know, whether you're the leader or the helper of a leader or somewhere in the church, ultimately kind of that's what we're doing. We're being used by God to pull people out of the fire, to pull them out of the world, to, you know, dust them off. You know, hey, look up. God loves you. You grow as a man and woman in Christ and let's go to the promised land. 
Let's live our life and enjoy God and exalt Him. Edify the church. Evangelize the world. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be caught up in, right? But you can't do it unless you see beyond what you've been seeing. And it bums me out sometimes as a pastor because you realize when you look at people and you're like, sometimes, you know, not always because we're not God. We don't know the will of God for everyone. But sometimes you wonder, you're like, man, I think God has so much more for you, for your family. But you're blind. And, and you're deaf. And your hearts are hard to the work that God wants to do. You see, it's an illustration of the hardness of man's heart. But I tell you what, and this is so cool, it's also an illustration of the largeness of God's heart. I mean, aren't you blessed that Jesus didn't give up on the guy? You know, um, I mean, I don't know. Some people are arrogant. Thank God Jesus is not arrogant, you know. But he could have said, here I am. I take my incredibly valuable time to take you outside the city and who knows how long that walk took. And I use my flawless saliva, which smells like mint, and uh, my tender touch. And, uh, and you doubt me? You dare doubt me? You dare defy me? I'm done with you. No, thank God the Lord is not like that. He just says, let's do it again. Right? That's what he did. Let's do it again. And he touches the guy. And he does the same with his disciples. I mean, and these guys had been with him for a long time. But he doesn't give up on them. Just like he doesn't give up on us. Let me tell you something. I don't care who you are. Or what you've done. It's not too late. The Lord. He will not give up on you. Until the very last breath. And there is no sin. That, that's, that's too big. That the blood of Jesus. Can't wash away. And it doesn't matter. How many years the, the locust or the canker worm has eaten in the past, whatever years you have left, He will bless them as you live them for the Lord. And He will touch your eyes again, even though you doubted Him, even though you defied Him, even though you denied Him. Peter learned that lesson. And that's why he became such a mighty man of God, a strong warrior. The ones that love God the most are the ones who are forgiven the most. That's why Paul, the apostle, was such a, he's a typology of a Christian. He's an example of a Christian. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, because he understood and he was in touch and with, he was in tune with the way that God had forgiven him so much. I mean, that's the God that we serve. That's the way He was with this man, with His disciples. That's the way He is with all of us, you know. I wonder if there's anyone here who might be grateful that we serve the God of the second chance. Anybody here? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, man. The third chance. The Some of you guys here, you had a fat chance, man. I mean, no chance. You know, I know I grew up 
and odds against me. Like many of you here, your dad walks out on you at a young age, really not there for you. I mean, just crazy, nothing, nothing, no hope. I grew up, my life was so bad, so addicted to drugs, so lost, I never even thought about my future because I did not think I had one. No chance. But we do. That's the God that we serve. But you've got to give Him your heart. You know, He has a sense of humor, but He doesn't play games. You've got to give Him your heart. What we find today is a revelation of Jesus in healing this blind man. He is sovereign. He is Savior. Make no mistake about it. Secondly, we, we learn about the cooperation with Jesus. He does His part we we got to do ours, you guys. And then, and then thirdly, we see an illustration of two things. The hardness of man's heart are oftentimes we don't see and we don't hear, but the largeness of God's heart and that He will do whatever He can to rid us of that hard heart and replace it with a heart of flesh and stone that would beat for Him. But, but you've got to do something. What do you need to do? Look again, if you would, in verse 25. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. Look up. That's what you've got to do. Oh, but I haven't grown as a Christian. Oh, you're not grown up. You haven't looked up. <laughs> Oh, but I'm struggling in this relationship and that relationship. Oh, you haven't made up, then you haven't looked up. You know, Warren Worsby said, when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. You get your eyes on men, we'll fail you every time. You get your eyes on the Lord, they will never fail you. He will never fail you. He is willing. I don't see Him with these eyes, but I see Him. With my eyes of faith, God is here. God is here in a special way because He inhabits His temple and that's the congregation of His people. God is here to meet you wherever you are. As Christians who are challenged in the church and as non-Christians, maybe here today, someone invited you or you know, they dragged you here, they bribed you, they said, hey, afterwards we'll go to In-N-Out or something like that. We'll go bowling, whatever. And you're like, okay, I'll go. You know, sometimes, you know, kids, they get dragged to church by their parents. They're drug babies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you're like, well, I'm here because of my parents or whatever. I'm here because... And, and bottom line is, you know, if that's you and, you know, you're not in right relationship with God, I pray that today you would look up. And as you look up, you know, and you can kind of visualize the guy. I don't know for sure. Maybe he's like, you know, one of those guys that's looking down and just thinking nothing good and all. And then the Lord just kind of, he, he makes him look up, look up. And then what do you see? Oh, I, what do you see? What do you see when you look up? You see a God who loves you. You see a God who's 
crying because he loves you. You see a God who died for you. You see the cross. You look up. You, you don't see just this world because this world's hard. You see heaven. You see home. You see love. You see forgiveness. But you got to look up. And I pray that you would today if you need to.